On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help quickly. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, I, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks, Gareth, for that. We're in the Gospel of Luke at the minute. We're continuing our series in Luke's Gospel, and and we're in Luke chapter 5 this morning. And hopefully, uh, piece by piece, week by week, we're seeing this picture that Luke is building in our minds of Jesus Christ. We're seeing Jesus Christ all the more clearly, who he really is and what he has come to do. That's the message that Luke is putting across because he wants us to be certain about who Jesus Christ really is. He knows that that's vitally important for us because in a world that is full of conflict and unrest, Luke wants us to know that Jesus is our only hope of perfect peace. In a world where there is so much evil and darkness and suffering and pain, Luke wants us to be sure that Jesus Christ, he is our only hope of an end to all those things. For one day, all things in this world to be made right again. And in a world where all of us ultimately die, Luke wants us to know that Jesus Christ is the only hope that we have of everlasting life. That's the picture that that Luke is is putting before us, that's being built of Jesus Christ every week. And, And the question that Luke keeps asking us is this, how will you respond to this Jesus Christ? How will you see Jesus? What will your view of Jesus Christ be? We've seen some of the responses to Jesus already in Luke chapter four. We had uh, amazement in Capernaum at the power and authority that Jesus Christ has. We saw as well earlier in Luke chapter 4, rejection of Jesus Christ in Nazareth because of the message that he proclaims. But here in Luke chapter 5, we get a response to Jesus that up until now we've not yet seen. As we'll see in this familiar story, I'm sure it's something that you've heard before, Uh, Jesus enters into the world of three fishermen 
and turns the course of their lives around forever. These three ordinary men who would become part of Jesus' closest group of followers, the 12 apostles, and and who would become foundational in seeing the kingdom of God spread the new places and foundational in Jesus Christ building his church. We see the response of these men when they encounter Jesus Christ this morning. And we see that uh, the way they respond to the call of Jesus Christ is to follow him and to be his disciple, embracing him and the life that he has come to offer. And they give each of us this morning the example of how to respond to Jesus Christ, the right way for each of us to respond to his call on our lives. Because this is what we see in our passage this morning. The Lord Jesus calls anyone who wishes to follow him and be his disciple to a life of obedience, humility, and commitment. Those three things are what we see in this passage this morning. The Lord Jesus calls anyone who wishes to be his disciple, his follower, to a life of obedience, humility, and commitment. Now, I'm sorry this morning, I've been lazy. I haven't made a PowerPoint for you. It's, it's the first time I've not done this, and I'm really sorry for those visual learners out there. But hopefully, it's not too many verses. Hopefully, you'll not get lost in where we are and in me trying to lead us. I want to, at the start of, of Luke chapter 5, to just consider this scene at the beginning. Luke paints this picture, which is pretty much the opposite of the scene that I see before me this morning. Here we are respectfully, quietly sitting in our rows alongside each other, listening or at least pretending to listen to me teach God's word. No distractions, no hustle and bustle. But what we have here is the complete opposite. Jesus is on the edge of a very noisy, smelly boat landing on the lake of Gennesaret, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee, a really significant place, as we'll see as we go go through Luke's gospel, a significant place in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, They're here, and the crowds are pressing in on him, jostling for position to get a, a good view of Jesus Christ, to be able to hear Jesus Christ. And it's obviously getting harder and harder for Jesus to do what he's here to do, to preach the word of God. And if you can picture the scene in your mind's eye, just off to the side of it, you'll see some very tired and weary fishermen who've been fishing all night with no reward. They've caught nothing for all their endeavors. And they're still out working, these men. They're washing and prepping their nets for the following night's work. Obviously, the situation here is so messy and chaotic that it isn't conducive to Jesus' teaching anymore. And so verse 3 tells us that Jesus getting into one of the boats, which happened to be Simon's, who's a key person in all this that takes place, he asks him to put out a little from the land so that it will allow him to teach the crowd from this kind of floating pulpit. And Luke says he sat down and started teaching. Now, I don't know if any of you have worked a night shift before. We've got some doctors, some nurses in the room, I know. If you have, you'll know that at the end of a night shift, even the smallest, simplest request feels like a massive thing. And you can imagine Simon Peter here, bleary-eyed, just wanting to get home to his bed, hungry probably. This is a bit of an inconvenience to him, isn't it? 
But we see that he still obliges. He's willing to do this for Jesus, the rabbi who he obviously respects. Remember, this isn't the first encounter that he's had with Jesus. We saw in chapter 4 that Jesus has been in Simon's house and that he's actually healed his mother-in-law and restored her back to health. And verse 4 tells us when Jesus had finished teaching, he turned to Simon and hits him with a really strange command. Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Luke doesn't say if there was an awkward long pause here, but my guess is there probably was. Simon is taking a moment to process what has just happened, what Jesus has just asked. Here was a carpenter turned teacher from up in the hill country of Nazareth, about 16 miles from any water. And he's thinking, what does this guy know about fishing? He's asking me to go fishing? This is like me, probably the least musical man here in the room, giving Thomas or one of the other people in the band here a bit of advice on how to play their instrument better. It's like the new employee, first day on the job, giving the experienced boss of the company advice on how things should be run. And look what he says to Jesus in verse 5. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. You sense the tension in, in his answer. He's the one here who's the experienced fisherman. This is his boat, his crew. He's in charge. He's the authority when it comes to fishing. But yet Jesus the carpenter is the one giving him the commands. And I'm sure he was thinking, Jesus, with all due respect, I know these waters. I fish on them every day. I know that during the day is the very worst time to go fishing. I know that the big crowds and all this commotion has probably scared all the fish away. Jesus, I don't think this is a very good idea. In fact, I think this is going to end in failure. Jesus, this is my world, my thing, my area of expertise, and I'm not really sure if you're the person who'd be, who should be speaking into all this. And I wonder if when we think of certain areas of our lives, is that how we might respond to Jesus too? Jesus, I'm happy to listen to your teaching when it comes to the religious stuff or the moral stuff or the spiritual stuff. But interfering in my work life or my family life or my social life, is that really your remit, Jesus? Do I really need your input there? And the logical response uh, that Peter kind of would come to is that based on this being his area of expertise, and, and given how tired he is and the rest of his crew are, and given the fact that this is going to end in more empty nets, the logical response is to say to Jesus, Jesus, you know what? Let's just keep the nets in the boat. Let's just paddle to shore and call it a day. We'll do it again tomorrow, some other time. But amazingly, that's not how Simon finishes his sentence in verse 5. He doesn't base his decision on the logic of it all. He doesn't base it on his own emotional response or how he feels. He doesn't base it on the impact he thinks it might have on himself or on the other people around him. He bases his decision on who it is that's asking. And he says, but at your word, 
I will let down the nets. Verse 5 in the NIV actually says it like this. But because you say so, Jesus, I will let down the nets. If it was anyone else asking, I'm not sure Simon would have listened. But there's something about Jesus that makes Simon say, because it's you, Jesus, your word, you asking, I'll do it. I'll obey. And we don't know exactly what it is. There's no doubt Simon has seen the kind of power and authority that Jesus' words possess. He would have been there in the synagogues as Jesus was teaching. He was there watching as he cast out the demons and healed people just by his word. And as we said already, he's seen Jesus heal his own mother-in-law from sickness. And so Simon knows that Jesus' words contain incredible power and authority. And that's all that Simon has to go on here. Jesus' word. And here's the very first step in Simon's journey as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Simply trust in Jesus at his word. Receiving Jesus' word and responding to his word in faith and obedience. And isn't it the same for any of us who wishes to follow Jesus Christ? The very first steps we take on the journey of discipleship is receiving his word and responding to it with faith and obedience. And then every day thereafter, as we continue to follow Jesus Christ, we daily, continually receive his word and respond in faith and obedience. The path of discipleship is one that says, Jesus, at your word, I will obey. Even when it's difficult, even when things seem uncertain, even when it pushes me out of my comfort zone, even when what Jesus is asking is a bit of an inconvenience to me, to my family, even when what he's asking will have an impact on my work life, my social life, my finances. This is what following Jesus Christ looks like and sounds like because the Lord Jesus calls his disciples to a life of obedience to his word, basing all our decisions not on how we feel or what we think might be the most comfortable, sensible, safe option, but basing all our decisions in life and the word of God all of life, not just the things we might class as the spiritual things or the church-related things. This is everything because Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And so his word speaks directly into all areas and aspects of our lives. Yes, there are times when maybe it requires godly wisdom and discernment to know just how God's word speaks directly into specific situations. But there is never any realm of our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ which falls outside the authority of his word. And if we're someone who's trusted Jesus and are following him, then I want, you to, I want to ask you to consider this morning, are there any areas of your life right now that you maybe aren't surrendering to Jesus and the authority of his word? What about your money and your finances? What about your work or career? 
What about your family life or your marriage? What about your social life or your singleness? There's a risk that we buy into this type of discipleship where life following Jesus is like a house with lots of different rooms. And Jesus is allowed access to some of those rooms. But there are others that we keep locked where he's not welcome in. Or we've maybe even convinced ourselves that he wouldn't be interested in coming into those rooms anyway. And that might feel comfortable, safe. But honestly, the truth is that's not the kind of life Jesus calls his followers to. That's no kind of discipleship at all. True discipleship gives Jesus an access all areas pass in our lives, even to the most private and intimate rooms. And listen, this might be really difficult for some of us. Maybe there are skeletons in some of those rooms that we're ashamed of, that we'd want no one else to know about. But here's the amazing thing. The Lord Jesus knows what's there already. And he still loves you. And he still accepts you. He's willing to forgive you. And if you let him in, he promises to change you. So that even in that area of life, you can live in obedience to his word. This little episode in Luke's gospel is teaching us that the Lord Jesus calls his disciples to a life of obedience to his word. Now I want you to look at what happens next. Because notice that it's actually Simon's obedience to Jesus and his word that gives Jesus the platform on which to do something miraculous. Isn't that amazing? His obedience to Jesus gives him the stage to display his glory and his majesty. And I wonder if we're rarely or never saying the words, Jesus, at your word, I will obey, might we be missing out on opportunities for Jesus to display the miraculous, wonderful things that he wants to do in us and through us? Just a thought. So Simon follows Jesus' command. And look at verse 6. When they put down their nets, they enclosed such a large number of fish that their nets were breaking. This is an incredible catch of fish, so big that Simon and his men have to call for backup. They're pulling these nets back into the boat, nets that are literally overflowing with fish. And verse 7 says, they fill both boats to the point that the boats are now beginning to sink. This is completely abnormal. This is completely unexpected. Contrary to all logic, all fishing forecasts, this is a catch like, unlike anything else these seasoned fishermen have ever experienced. Simon knows fishing. He knows this kind of thing just doesn't happen on these waters. And he, so he knows this is a miracle. And I want you to put yourself in Simon's shoes for a moment in that boat. How might you have responded to what just happened? Here's how I think some of us might have responded. Maybe this is me. Quick, somebody get me a camera. I need to get a picture of this. Jesus, this is amazing. Jesus, get in here. Boys, get in here. Make sure we get the boats in as well, all the fish. No one's going to believe this has happened. Maybe that's you. Instagram followers would love that, wouldn't they? Or maybe you might have reacted like this. Jesus 
How about when we get back to shore, we start talking about what this would look like for you to come out on the water with us every day? I'll get the contracts written up. We'll split it 50-50. What do you think? You just tell us where to go, and we'll do the rest. Business will be booming. Or here's probably what might be the most reasonable response. A bit of whooping and, and cheering, reveling in this moment, the greatest catch you've ever taken, and then you turn to Jesus Christ and you say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this. But Simon doesn't do any of these things. And his response is as powerful as it is surprising. And I think it it shows us the second thing about, about following Jesus Christ, about the path of discipleship. It's that the Lord Jesus calls his disciples to a life of humility. Look what happens in verse 8. This fisherman takes the greatest catch of his life and immediately he turns to the one who he knows made it all happen and he falls on his knees and says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Simon had said, but at your word and now he has seen the word in action. He's seen just how powerful that word is. The word who made the fish of the sea. The word who has all knowledge and all wisdom. Even in an area like fishing where Simon thought he was the expert. The word who was there in the beginning with God. And the word who was God. And the word who through whom all things were made. The word who stands before Simon in the flesh. And in this moment, Simon comes face to face with the reality of who Jesus Christ really is, and he is awestruck, blown away by the glory of Jesus Christ. Do you notice in verse 5 that before the miracle, Simon calls Jesus master? But how does he respond to him in verse 8 after the miracle? He bows before him as Lord. Jesus has entered into Simon's world. And as Simon is exposed to the reality of who Jesus Christ really is, it exposes himself to the reality of who he really is. A sinner. His response is strange. Sin has not been mentioned in any other part of the passage. But this is what happens when we behold Jesus Christ in his glory. When we see his holiness, it makes us see ourselves for who we really are. Unholy. A sinner. Completely unworthy to be in his presence. Simon's response is very similar to that of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah has this vision of the living God. He comes face to face with his glory and his majesty. And what's Isaiah's instinctive, immediate response in that moment? He says in verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 6, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He sounds just like Simon, doesn't he? Simon's eyes too have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
And he too, like Isaiah, is completely undone, humbled before the Lord. Because in the light of Jesus' holiness, Simon, he sees the depths of his own sinfulness. He has this complete recognition of his own unworthiness before Jesus. His pride disintegrates, his self-worth evaporates, and he confesses that he is a sinner standing in the presence of a holy God. And Simon is showing us something important here, that in order to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, we must be humble. Humble in confessing our sin, humble in confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is why the the life of a follower of Jesus Christ is not one of pride, but one of humility. Because God's grace is for the humble, and he opposes the proud. For those who recognize their sin, who recognize their unworthiness, they will recognize their need of a savior. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're in that place of conviction before the Lord. Maybe you're on your knees spiritually before him. Well, I want you to see the good news in this passage because Jesus Christ does not leave us there. This is the amazing thing. I want you to see how Jesus responds to Simon's humility. Jesus doesn't say to him, Simon, you're spot on. You're a sinner and I'm holy. So maybe we shouldn't be in the same boat together. Maybe keeping your distance is best for both of us. I don't think you and me being together is going to work out. No, he doesn't say that. Look at his incredible response. An incredible response for Simon, but also for us this morning. Verse 10, he says, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. In just a few short words, Jesus says so much to Simon. He preaches to him the gospel of grace here. Do not be afraid. These are not words of condemnation. These are words of assurance and comfort, aren't they? Words full of grace and mercy. Don't be afraid, Simon. I haven't done all this. I haven't revealed myself to you and brought you to this place of conviction to condemn you. I've led you to this place to pour out my grace and my love on you, to save you. Simon, you told me to depart from you, but do you see that I'm inviting you to come to me, to enter into relationship with me? And this is what Jesus offers to all of us this morning, to all who will humble themselves before the Lord, confessing their sin and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Just like Simon, Jesus knows that you're a sinner. He knows all of your failings in life. He knows the very depths of your guilt and shame that you carry maybe today. But do you see how Jesus gives us the reason not to be afraid? Because he calls us to a new life. A life which means that as a sinner we can stand with boldness and confidence in the presence of a holy God from now on and for all eternity. Isn't that amazing? Because when we accept Jesus as our Savior from now on, from this day forward and forever, he gives us his 
holiness, his righteousness. He takes our sin on himself and he gives us his perfection. And from now on, that means we stand in God's everlasting love and forgiveness. From now on, we experience his undeserved grace and mercy. Amazing. This is the new life that Jesus Christ calls all of us to this morning. And he calls us to this new life and he gives us a new kingdom purpose. A new life with a new purpose. Because look what he says to Simon next. From now on, you're you're not going to be fishing for fish anymore. That's not your job. It has been up to this point. But rather than pulling living fish out of the water to death, you're going to be throwing your nets out to catch dead people and bringing them to life in me. People who are lost in their sins, you're going to be pulling them from spiritual death and giving them spiritual life in me. Jesus promises Simon a life of greater meaning and value and purpose than he has ever had before. He is going to be doing his kingdom work. Isn't that amazing? What a calling this is. A sinful person like Simon can be saved by Jesus, but also sent out by Jesus to do his work. Commissioned by him. And it's not that Jesus needs us or needs Simon for this work. Remember, he's the one with all power and authority. He's the one who caused this miraculous catch of fish. Simon and his men, they didn't do anything. And so he's the one who has all power and authority to bring people from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's not us. But how amazing and incredible that the way God chooses to work in bringing sinners into his kingdom is through us. What a privilege. What a joy when we see it in this way. So where has Jesus called you as a follower of him to catch people for his kingdom? Where is he calling you to follow him in catching people for his kingdom? You don't need to to move to some far-flung country or some other place in the world to fulfill this calling. Some of us might. It might be that Jesus calls us to to move to somewhere else where there is a real gospel need to, to catch people for his kingdom in another part of this world. That might be the case for some of us, but for most of us, I'm guessing, in this room, Most of us who are followers of Jesus, we can fulfill this calling right here, right here in Belfast, right here in our everyday, ordinary lives with the people we rub shoulders with every day, the people in the street that we live on, the people in the place that we work, the people in the home that we live in. Being a disciple of Jesus means being a fisher of men and women, boys and girls. Discipleship and mission are inextricably linked. You can't have one without the other. And so if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ this morning, the question is, where has he called you to follow him in catching people for his kingdom? Finally, and very quickly, the final thing we see in this passage is that the Lord Jesus calls his disciples 
to a life of total commitment. Total commitment. Look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The extent of the commitment of these three men to following Jesus Christ is staggering. This blows half-hearted, nominal Christianity right out of the water, doesn't it? These men left everything, not just some things, not just the things they were happy to leave, they left everything to follow Jesus. Think about what that means. They left the biggest catch they'd ever taken in their lives. All the financial gain of that. They left their livelihood, their business, everything that would have given them stability and security in life. They left their families, their homes, everything they once held dear and everything that they had built their lives upon until this point. And why did they do it? Why did they leave it all behind? Because they realized that nothing was important as what they discovered about this man, Jesus Christ. Nothing was worth as much as knowing him and following him. From this point on, everything about them is tied to Jesus Christ. Their identity, their security, their purpose in life, all of it is in relation to him. He is their number one priority. He is their first love and devotion. I wonder if you've heard of Bill Shankly before. Looking around the room and I don't know if there are. <laughs> Definitely not. We, we, I probably need to explain this a bit. I'm, I'm a, a football man, so I, I know who Bill Shankly is. But he is a famous manager of Liverpool Football Club. Uh, he was in the, in the 60s and 70s. I'm going to say this because I think it will write a few people if they are Liverpool fans. But he's like the Sir Alex Ferguson of Liverpool Football Club. That's what he's like. What, what Sir Alex Ferguson is to Manchester United. That big, you know. And if you came across Bill Shankly back in the 60s and 70s, you'd have been in no doubt who and what this man was living for. He was the most passionate and committed football man. He lived and breathed the game. And when he died, they even scattered his ashes in the field at Anfield Football Club, or at Liverpool Football Club on Anfield. Such was his devotion to the game. And Bill Shankly once said this in an interview, I have devoted all of my life to football. Everything else has been thrown overboard for it. I have devoted all of my life to football. Everything else has been thrown overboard for it. I wonder, are we as followers of Jesus Christ prepared to do the same for him? to devote all of our lives to following him, throwing everything else overboard for the sake of knowing him and making him known wherever he has placed us in life, whether in the classroom or in our workplace, at our university, in our home. The question is, will following him be our number one priority? The best way for us to love our children, the best way for us to love our neighbors, the best way for us to love our work colleagues is to love Jesus Christ more than them. 
for him to be our first love. And there's no doubt putting, first, uh, putting Jesus Christ first in our lives might cost us certain things. It did for these men. I know it has done for some of you in this room. It might cost us financially. It might cost us relationally. It might cost us a promotion. It will definitely cost us our comfort in life. In some parts of the world, it might even cost us our very lives. But listen, I don't think any of us, when we get to heaven, when we stand in glory before our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, that we will think back and regret any of the things that we have given up for him. Listen to what Max Licato, a Christian writer, says about this, about that moment of standing before Jesus Christ in glory in heaven. He says, you can be certain that when you stand before your king, you won't regret any sacrifice you made for him and for his kingdom. The hours of service for Christ, you won't regret them. The money you gave to his kingdom, you'd give a thousand times over. The times you helped the poor and loved the lost, you'd do it again and again. Village, I want to call us, just as Jesus Christ calls us, to embrace the life of radical commitment that Jesus Christ demands of all who would follow him. Knowing that this is a life that is so worth it. This is a life that has eternal value and significance. This is a life that far eclipses any other life that we might choose to live. The Lord Jesus calls anyone who wishes to follow him and be his disciple to a life of obedience, humility, and commitment. And if you're wondering, why is that the case? Why does he, he demand these things? Well, Peter, Peter, Simon, his name would be changed to Peter later, but Simon Peter here and these other men, they would know why as they watched Jesus Christ for these next three years following him. And as we study Luke's gospel, we will see why too. Because the path of discipleship that we walk is a path that Jesus Christ has already walked for us. Completely obedient to the will of his Father, humbling himself for us, being born in human likeness and experiencing death on a cross, all so that he could be completely committed to securing our salvation. That's the savior we have in Jesus Christ. That's the king we follow.